Well, today we have the potluck after church, so there'll be plenty of time to continue the conversations. And uh, let me invite you, if you'd like to, to turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. And you're always welcome just to sit and listen to me as I read the Word. It's a, it's a time-tested way to learn the Scriptures, to listen to somebody else read. Now I have to read along. So we're in Galatians 6, verse 6. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. For then, excuse me, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. We say together, the grass withers and the fire falls, but the word of our God will stand forever. you pray with me? Father, will you now speak this word into our hearts and into our minds, to our lives, and use it to strengthen us when we are weak, strengthen us for all of life, and will you align my words now according to your words that they would be a blessing to all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I was preparing this sermon, I realized that I should have included verse 6 with last week's sermon. Because as much as I'd like to tie my pay with your eternal salvation, (laughs) it is not the primary tie that Paul had in mind here, I think. In fact, I think that last week we talked about what it meant, verse 5, for each will have to bear his own load. And we define that own load that we each carry, not as what's sufficient for each of us to survive. Right? It doesn't mean that each of us can, can do it all ourselves and, and we can provide everything we need ourselves. But rather it means that we each have a load that we're responsible to carry. But each of our loads is very interdependent on the community of believers to survive. Right? If we only tried to carry our own load, do it all ourselves, none of us could survive. But we actually carry one another's burdens. The burdens that are too heavy for them to carry themselves, it says in verse 2. We carry one another's burdens. And in doing that, we fulfill the law of Christ. We provide for one another, but still we're each responsible for carrying our own load. And so for the preacher, his load is to teach the word of God, to equip and to prepare people for understanding what this message of the gospel is, for understanding who God is and what our sin is and how we're saved. And part of the load of the congregation is to share in the material things that God has given them, the things that people make, earn in the marketplace, the things that that they have in those days, the, the 
the livestock and the food that they had, perhaps the housing. And in doing so, we fulfill the law of Christ where we share with one another. There's a, there's a, a very real command in the scriptures to, to provide for the preachers. And it's helpful to understand something else about this one sentence. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. And that is the context that this is being written. Right? Think about this. This is, this is probably about 15 years as, after Jesus' death and resurrection. The church hasn't had a lot of time to form and to structure and to, to develop the ways they're going to provide for their pastors. In fact, in the, in the Old Testament, in the Jewish system, there was a very well-developed system where the people were to bring certain sacrifices, certain offerings to the temple, to the, uh, in some cases to the synagogues around them, and to provide for the, the teachers, to provide for the priests. But now, all of these apostles who are going out to tell people about Jesus, they've been banished from that system. They're excluded from it. And so there's a real pressing question, well, how, how can they make a living? And Paul, you know, in some cases, when he goes into an area where there are people living who haven't heard about Jesus, who don't know about the system, especially when he goes to the Gentiles, and they don't even know about the Old Testament system of providing for the priests, he goes in and he doesn't ask them for any money. He goes in and he takes a job on the side to make tents. He doesn't burden them asking him to pay him just because he's a good speaker and they're entertained. But in other cases, once the church is growing, once people have become believers, he says, look, this is how the system works, how the economy that God has set up works. And the people who are taught are to provide for the teachers, not in an extravagant way. And this has been abused oftentimes. I mean, if you see the, the preachers are are living and taking from the congregation, are stealing effectively from the congregation. You, you all know who I'm talking about. These people who wear the, the Armani suits and, and they, and I, I just heard a story the other day about a, a man who owns a, a nice boat and he uses it for Christian ministry and, and, um, and, and he offers it to pastors and somebody I know was going out there to, to, to look at the boat and, to do this, and this man said, "Yeah, just last week Joel Olstein was here looking at the boat, and they were out here, and I couldn't believe how well they were dressed." I don't know if you know who Joel Olstein is. It, you know, I mean, he's, he's one of these flamboyant pastors who abuse the congregation. But the people are to provide for their ministers. I also think that it's, it's important to point out here that. Uh, the people should provide for their own pastor, the pastors that they know, because they can see when people are taking advantage of them. They can also understand when people aren't preaching the word of God, when they're telling somebody, telling people things that, that they're making up instead of what, what's in the scripture. They also know when they're being lazy. Right? Eugene Peterson joked that, uh, uh, the, uh, I don't think it was his joke, but he said, you know, the pastors are, they're invisible six days of the week and incomprehensible the seventh. <laughs> you know, but, but when the people around are the ones sharing 
with the pastor. They, they are receiving what the, the pastor's teaching, right? They're not just paying him for, for saying things that they like to hear. They, they're paying him to preach the word of God, to prepare and to teach, to, to tell them truth. And they, they have an, a, a, an ability to discern truth from lie if they're in the word themselves and being taught well. And so Paul gives this simple instruction. Share what you have if you're being taught with the one who teaches. Now, I just heard a sermon last Sunday. And the pastor said, um, excuse me, this, this man isn't really a pastor, but he is a, an ordained preacher. He said that the preacher has about 30 to 40 minutes to make 21 different points. That's about as many points as he can make, 21 different points in his, his sermon. And I cringed because, of course, maybe you know this, maybe you don't, that essentially the preacher, when he preaches a sermon, is called to make one main point and to explain it. Now, you may say, what about Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount? Doesn't he go from point to point to point to point? I mean, doesn't he make about 21 points there? Isn't this man's sermon validated, his point validated? I'll tell you, Jesus, when he preached that Sermon on the Mount, he made a statement at the beginning. He said, I want you to know that I have come to fulfill the law, not to abolish the law. That was his main point. I have come to fulfill the law, not to abolish the law. And then he goes through, point by point, giving examples from the law of how he didn't come to abolish the law. In fact, the law requires far more of every person there than they ever realized they did. And he's showing people how he had fulfilled and obeyed every command in that law perfectly. His sermon was about one thing, and that was that he had come to fulfill the law and not abolish the law. And then he makes his point. Now, I tell you that story for two reasons. First, because I'm going to break my own rule, and I just preached one sermon on giving to the, giving to the church, the pastor. I'm going to preach another sermon on what it means to reap and sow. Okay? This is one of the few times that you'll hear me preach on two different main points. And it was because I made a mistake and I should have included that last week. But the other point I want you to see in this is that we're going to talk about reaping and sowing. And it's really easy to read this passage and take this passage to mean that we're called to do good works. And we reap what we sow. When we do good works, we get good things. And when we do evil... We get bad things. We get destruction. But the point that Jesus made in that Sermon on the Mount, very clearly, very clearly, over and over and over, is that no matter how many good works we do, no matter how good we think we are, no matter how well we think we've obeyed the law, we have all fallen way short of keeping that law perfect. We all need to return to look to Jesus as the one who fulfilled that law completely, who kept that law completely. And it's only 
his keeping that law and then dying on the cross to forgive you for breaking that law and then in raising from the dead actually giving you his righteousness. This is the point that Paul has been making all through this letter to the Galatians is that Jesus has given you his righteousness and taken away your sin so that you could have salvation with God. It's so easy to come here and see verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And see, okay, if I just do good, I'm going to reap eternal life, it says later. But the point is that Jesus has saved you, and yet at the same time, God is not mocked. You can't pull your, the wool over God's eyes. You can't pretend that I've been following all of his law, or worse yet, blatantly sin before God and not confess it and expect to get something that you don't deserve. That's the, that's the point of the gospel. That's the point of us not keeping God's law, not being able to fully keep God's law, is that we can't do it, and Jesus has done it for us. Don't be deceived if you think that you have something in your life that you're hiding from God because you're effectively hiding it from everybody else around you. Know that God is not mocked. God knows everything about your life. And like a, a seed that's been sown in the ground, you may not see the full result of what comes out of the ground for a long time. You may not notice. You may not be able to see. Other people may not be able to see what's growing out of your life. But God knows from the time it's an invisible seed in the ground to the time that it actually flowers and bears fruit, everything everything in your life. We think we can pull the seed, pull the wool over God's eyes, but we just, we can't. And Paul wants us to see that the Christian life now is defined by something else. It's defined by, not by what you've done in the past, but by something that's been given to you, it's defined by the Holy Spirit that's living in the believer. If you have believed in Christ, then God has given you this spirit. And he talked about, two, two weeks ago, we looked at chapter five, he talked about how the, the spirit wars against the flesh. It's not just our, our human body that's the flesh. It's the whole of our human nature. The Spirit of God and the desires of the Spirit war against our human flesh. Our human flesh is selfish and it's concerned that we're not going to have enough. It seeks to, to make sure that we're going to survive. And so it, it takes wherever it can and it tries to store up and is not concerned with who it hurts, who it destroys along the way. Paul says the end of that is clear. It's not just the destruction of others around you. 
It's actually your own destruction in the end. You may be fooling yourself to think that you're, you're doing all right, but it's your own destruction in the end. You remember Lance Armstrong and, and how many people he destroyed along the way. It's all coming out now, right? I mean, he just destroyed lives, taking, taking, taking from everybody around him, and it seemed like he was getting away with it. And whether or not he gets away with it in this life or not, and and whether he has to pay everybody retribution or not, what God is saying, what the Apostle Paul is saying, is that the end of that kind of life that just takes from everybody, steals from everybody, the desires of the flesh that bite and devour one another is destruction. Uh, Our translation here translated it corruption in verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption or reap destruction. That is the end of us acting in that kind of selfish manner. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. He says, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. We live in a culture of instant gratification. If we're hungry, we can find a restaurant that will serve the food we're hungry for right now. If we want a fix of some kind of alcohol, some kind of substance, we can find that immediately on just about any corner. If we want to feed our sexual desires, we can find that. If we want to feed any other kind of desires from uh, being entertained to whatever it is, we can find it immediately. But oftentimes, for the Christian, oftentimes when we follow the commands of God and bear this fruit of the Spirit, live our lives for others, and we love others, and we rejoice in what God has given us, and we are peaceful and patient and kind and good and faithful and gentle, show self-control, the kind of reward that we receive is is long in coming. I mean, we get walked over, walked on some of the time. At other times, we just have to give something that we wanted ourselves. We have to trust God that he's going to be faithful to his promise to return 10, 100 fold what we've given away. Oftentimes, we are scorned or abused or persecuted. But God's promise is that if we sow to the Spirit, if we invest in these things that He's called us to, the Spirit, that you will reap in the end eternal life. It may not seem obvious what we're going to reap, what you're going to reap, but you do know what kind of seeds that you're sowing, right? A few few months ago, we we planted seeds to uh, to grow a a vegetable garden. 
and uh, and Mandy worked with the kids to to put in egg crates each one individual seeds and on the top of the egg crate she marked out which seed was where and then on my watch Greta came out and she took that egg crate and she closed it and she dumped it upside down (laughs) and all the seeds were mixed up so we tried to dump it back we had no idea which seeds were where and what they were planted right (laughs) and so when we transferred them to even to something else we still couldn't tell what was what was what because they were just sprouts But in our lives, we've been told, we've been learning, we've been studying what these seeds are that we plant in our lives. We've been instructed by God to to plant the seeds that end in eternal life, the seeds that are a part of the fruit of the Spirit, the the Spirit itself, and and cultivating and providing for those things to, to grow in our lives and warned against the end that comes from the works of the flesh. The things that we do that feed our own perceived, short-lived, short-term, immediate gratification, but that we know ultimately are destructive not just to other people, but to ourselves. Because in our heart, we're not really that different from Lance Armstrong. And wanting to protect ourselves, feed ourselves, and being willing to destroy others. The only thing that separates us from Lance Armstrong is that we've been given the spirit that has changed our heart that is inherently selfish to a heart that is generous. There's a saying that, uh, I didn't bring the quote up here with me, but let me try to give it so... Um, so a thought reap an action so that action reap a, a, a lifestyle uh, it's not quite it but that type of thing so that lifestyle reap a, a habit and so that habit and you reap the destruction, the end of it all. I just butchered that saying, but you get the point. You get the point that as as Christians, as believers, and even as unbelievers, recognize that it's not just a question of what we do, but but what we think, what we allow ourselves to go, the places that we that we start, because they're the they're the seeds, they're the the germ, germination that, that starts to grow out and, and eventually characterizes our lives. But also know that it's not, it's not those works that ultimately determine our end game. It's whether the, God has put a seed in you the seed which is the Holy Spirit that's continuing to grow in your life and bear fruit in your life. Okay? That, 
that spirit, if it's in your life, will bear fruit if you cultivate in your life ground that it can grow. If you take captive those thoughts, if you work hard, if you don't grow weary, as it says in verse 9, and when you see every opportunity to do good, you do that good to one another, you're cultivating ground that that spirit can sprout up in your life. I just want to point out one more thing in verse 10. And that is this question of, okay, who are we to do good to? Because this question comes up in the church all the time. Are we responsible for doing good to just those in the church? Or do we have to do good to those outside the church? Where do our responsibilities end? And of course, we can't do good to everyone. We can't do as much good to everyone as everyone needs good done to them. That's more of a burden than any of us can bear. We've each been given a load to carry. We've each been commanded to help carry others' burdens. But none of us can solve all the problems around us. And so Paul says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. As God brings these opportunities before you, let us do good to everyone, but especially those in the household of faith. Jesus said that if anyone has a brother in need and doesn't provide for that brother, he is is as good as being an enemy of this brother. Right? He might as well... Our first call is to provide for our, our family and to provide for one another as a church. But also, we're not, our call doesn't end there. We're to, to provide and do good to those outside of the household of faith as well. Because in doing so, some might be won over. Some might hear the gospel and believe. Jesus said, let your good deeds be seen by people. Sometimes he said, don't do things so that they could be seen, but, but do good. And when that's seen, people will come to believe. In fact, I, I, I've told this story before, but it's been a while, so let me tell it one more time. I think the church grows the most when we are loving people inside the community of the church well and also outside of the community of the church well. There's a, a sociologist named Rodney Stark wrote a book about the rise of Christianity in the early church. He said there's this, this mysterious period in the, in the second century, second and a little bit of the third century, where the number of Christians just exploded. And there's not a whole lot of evidence, written or archaeological evidence, on why this actually happened. And so... From a sociological point of view, he tried to go back and and kind of piece together from some of the evidence why the church exploded so fast in that period of time. And he said the best explanation is that during that time we know that there were massive plagues, especially in in kind of the Western world and and around the, the, the territory that that Rome inhabited, that Rome ruled. It's amazing plagues. He said there's evidence that when those plagues came to town and everybody else left town because the best way to avoid the plague was to get out of Dodge, the people who went into town to provide the just basic medical service, just to bring water and food to people who were bedridden, were oftentimes the Christians. 
In fact, most often. In fact, it was a, it was a, a, a change in direction. You know, so most people were going out, but the Christians were going in. Knowing that they were risking their lives, that they could catch the plague and they could die, but that just by providing those basic medical services, thousands, tens of thousands of people would have been saved. Just from, you know, they didn't have to be a doctor, just by giving water and food to these people. Tens of thousands of people would have been saved. And when people saw that belief, that, they, that their hope, their reward, was in eternity, was eternal life, and that they were actually willing to live their lives with that hope and risk their own lives, that tens of thousands of people believe the truth of this gospel message. Even though they had never heard of Jesus or even knew the teachings of the Old Testament, they came to believe. Do good to everyone, and especially to those of the household of faith, and the church will grow. I, I hope, my prayer is that the church in the coming years, as things get so polarized politically and we fight these battles, that the church continues to be known for doing things like providing these medical services when the plague came in, for the good that it does around the communities, more than being known for fighting for its own rights to existence its own rights in, in all these places. Because it doesn't matter how much we're persecuted by the state, by individuals, by other people. If our hope, our true hope, is in the promise of eternal life, Paul promises us, because of Jesus' salvation, that's won that eternal life. Let's pray. Father, We face many temptations to <clears throat> feed our, our perceived need for instant gratification. But Lord, will you give us eyes to see the end game, the, the plant that grows from the seeds that we sow? And will you give us endurance? and steadfastness to continue to sow these seeds of good works because Jesus has planted the seed of the Holy Spirit inside of us. We ask this in his name. Amen.